Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of No Doubt, where we will look at current events, people, and everyday issues and language from a Shin Buddhist perspective, and then talk about in-depth points that delve more deeply into the doctrine of this tradition. My name is Takashi Miyagi, and I'll be your host. Let's get started. So today I'd like to look at um, the issue of abortion and one possible take on the Shinshu outlook on this. Um, so what has recently been on the news a lot is, um, you know, uh, about the Supreme Court case, uh, Roe v. Wade uh, being overturned possibly. Um, as of right now, it still hasn't been passed. Um, and so it, it's likely that it will be overturned um, and that all abortion will be up to the states to decide, um, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's that was the issue at hand. Uh, nevertheless, the issue of abortion um, and how uh, we can look at that from a Jodo Shinshu perspective. Well, I can't claim that, you know, what I know or I'm about to say is what all Buddhists think. There is definitely not a consensus uh, as far as the Buddhist position on this issue. Um, but, you know, in my humble opinion, I think that a woman should have the right to make a decision that best fits her situation. I don't think Buddhism will go to the extent of taking a stance on one side or the other that is, you know, pro-life or pro-choice. But I think, you know, that's okay. I mean, why do we have to take a stance, actually? I feel like a lot of times people expect our tradition to take stances on certain political or social issues. But the simple matter of the fact is that this religion does not make outright claims that tell people how to live. And I know that might seem really frustrating, but in a lot of respects, that's very liberating, too. And, and so that's where the individual has this freedom to decide for oneself, you know, what is the appropriate way to live? What is the appropriate um, uh, course of action to take for oneself? So my explanation is but one of many that, um, that, that we can make on, on the side of uh, the woman's right to choose, you know, what is the best decision to make for her own body. But it is just as easily so that one can make an argument for the position of pro-life using the same Jodo Shinshu principles or doctrine that I just did, right? Uh, for example, I'm just you know off the top of my head, uh, one can think that you know killing itself is wrong, right? The Buddha talked about the principle of ahimsa, nonviolence, um, and therefore we should be against killing, right? And even fetuses, right? So. There are a bunch of different positions that we can take on this issue, but this is why I think it's more appropriate to side on the position of the women being able to choose after reflecting on Jodo Shinshu principles. So if anything, you know, what I'm providing um, in these, these podcast episodes are in these talks is, is the thought process that can be employed when thinking about various issues from a Jodo Shinshu standpoint as opposed to the final position itself, right? So, so as opposed to the, the, the final outcome or the final decision um, that, you know, that I'm saying that we should support or not support, you know, I, I, I am trying to highlight the, the methodology. I'm trying to highlight the, the, the thought process that can go behind um, 
reflecting on a certain issue through the Buddha Dharma, through the Jodo Shinshu uh, teaching and, and principles and values. So returning back to my original point, Buddhism doesn't give one a laundry list of things that a follower must or must not do. This religion does not say that you have to vote in this way or that or that way in the next election, right? But where there is the freedom to choose for oneself, there is at the same time the responsibility that one must bear in the decisions that um, the individual makes. Now, I say that, you know, knowing full well that I probably shot myself in the foot because, you know, there are probably a million things um, that I didn't take responsibility for, right? And so let me kind of preemptively, preemptively apologize for those things, right? For those actions that I've taken. But the, the, the principle of karma um, is, uh, you know, one of cause and effect, one of causation, right? So the principle of karma is, is cutthroat like that, right? There are no excuses that you can make to karma. It can't be reasoned with, right? It just is. Karma is a principle. It is dharma. It is uh, the law, right? It is, um, uh, it is principle, right? So it, um, there is no negotiating with this, right? It just is, right? So what comes of it, what, what is, is what naturally and inevitably comes of it, right? Where there is a cause, there is going to be that inevitable and necessary effect, right? There is no negotiating with karma, right? You can't kind of, you know, weasel your way out of it, right? So I'll, I'll return back to this point later. But for now, the, the point that I was trying to make is that we must bear the responsibility for the actions that we take. And that is karma. In order to be a Buddhist, one has to find his or her ethics. So for example, you know, what is the proper way for one to live as a Buddhist? This is the kind of question um, that I think is something that each and every Buddhist has to figure out for him or herself. This religion is not going to shove a specific way of life, uh, a specific uh, codified uh, rules of, for, for everyone to live by and, and shove it down that person's throat, right? So I, I like to bring um, to light another point. Uh, many times, you know, we're, what we're talking about in this issue is um, the issue of freedom, you know, and this, this goes a little bit away from, um, um, I'm not talking about the notion of the freedom to choose. I'm talking about uh, the, the general notion of freedom in this country and when we talk about you know liberty and what that means. I think many times people say that they want freedom when really they just want to be told what to do and how to live, right? I believe you know this is because they don't want to take the time to fully bear the responsibility of what freedom actually entails. Right? If you think about it, freedom takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, energy, and, and resources if you want to be responsible about it, right? If you had to sit there and think about what is your stance on every single social issue out there, you wouldn't have time to, to raise a family or earn money to pay your bills, etc., etc. Instead, it's much easier when things are black and white, when things fit into nice little categories, 
when we are told how to act, think, and behave when it comes to certain social issues. When I think to myself, well, I am a minority, so I have to vote in this way or in that way in the next election, or what some may call identity politics, the burden as well as the responsibility shifts then away from me to think for myself, right, uh, about any specific issue. And I suspect that's what most people want. I don't think people are willing to spend the time to really fret over what freedom really means and what it involves. They just like to throw around the word and say, well, you know, I can do what I want, you know, kind of thing, right? When really, that's not what freedom actually is, both from a political standpoint as well as a religious standpoint. However, when, when one must decide how one must live, then the onus is on that person. It takes a lot of time to think things through for each and every issue. There are always going to be gray areas that won't have a clear-cut right and wrong answer. You know, uh, a clear-cut white and black right situation. Or um, things won't fit nicely into one certain category or one nice box or another, right? And abortion is one of those issues. It's great in a lot of areas, but we have to make these determining factors on this issue. Um, and that's where there, there's a lot of disagreement, right? So actually then, technically speaking, freedom is not as quote unquote free as many people make it out to be. It doesn't mean we can be free willed and go play and dance in La La Land and do whatever we want, right? If we were serious about freedom, we would have to be studying and thinking just as hard as the founding fathers did of this country, right? And thinking about, you know, what civil liberties means, right? We would have to be just as studied as the Supreme Court justices themselves. Who's got the time for that, right? It's much easier to have someone tell me how to vote and feel like I am playing for some team where the players on my team, you know, think like I do, right? It's much easier to be in that, that mindset. And just to go off on another um, tangent here, this is the same with how many people deal with religion. Many people don't want to deal with the issue of death. Why? Well, because not only does it not have a concrete answer, right, but it is also too abstract of an issue to be thinking about on a daily basis, right? Ain't nobody got time for that, right? Most of the time, I'm afraid or I'm, I'm worried about having a roof over my head, right? And whether I have enough food on the table for myself and my family, these things, right? I'll think about, you know, death when that day comes, right? And, and this is the, the common belief of many, many people, even those who are uh, a part of a religious tradition. Heck, especially people who are a part of a religious tra tradition, right? Which is the point that I'm trying to make, which is to say that people just want to be told what death is about. People want to be told uh, a simple, nice story that gets them through the day when and makes them feel better about themselves when, when, when they do have to deal with this issue of death that is, that is not uh, an easy issue to deal with, that does not have a, a concrete answer um, and, and a one-size-fits-all type of answer, right? So we, we, we use religion in a lot of respects to give us an easy answer when the real intention of religion 
is to get us to reflect on these difficult issues, right? Um, so um, I hope I'm being clear here, uh, which is to say that, you know, not, not just Jodo Shinshi Buddhism or Buddhism for that matter, I'm talking about all religions are trying to get us to look at difficult issues, one of them being death, right? But a lot of times people use religion, I think, whether they realize it or not, people use religion to give them kind of an easy answer, right? That'll help them get through the day. That'll help them make them feel feel better about themselves, about you know this life that is otherwise a very daunting and 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 very um, difficult uh, endeavor, right? So people use religion in this way when really the 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 point of religion is to get us to really grapple with and have the tools to deal with these issues uh, on an individual basis. So this is a common belief of many people, I think, um, uh, of people who are part of a religious tradition. It's just easier to have some sort of spiritual authority tell me that things are going to be fine as long as I do X, Y, and Z. In other words, as long as I cover the bases, I'll be fine. You know, after my death, I'll go to a nice place where there's no more suffering, right? Kind of thing. No need to fret about the issue of death or the existential plight that all humans are actually in. As long as I do what I'm told, then I'll be okay. But again, here, we see the person passing the buck onto someone else or something else so that I don't have to think about this issue. I don't have to grapple with, with, with the problems of this issue, right? Even though um, death is the most important issue as the Buddha teaches. So um, it's easier to be told what to think, say, and do by an authoritative figure or entity rather than to think for oneself about various issues. It's kind of like how we deal with our, you know, savings, right? We want to invest, we want to get richer, but we don't know much about the stocks and things. Maybe this is just me, but you know, um, many of us perhaps don't know much about stocks and these kinds of things. So we hire a financial planner to worry about these things for us, right? And for a small nominal fee, they will give us suggestions and they will take on the brunt of the work and figure out what to invest in these kinds of things so that we can carry on with our lives that, you know, um, uh, don't have to worry about these things so much, right? So anyway, I'm kind of digressing here. The The point that I wanted to make was that it, it's just much easier to be told what to think, say, do, believe, uh, rather than to deal with um, issues uh, uh, of death, right? In, in From a religious standpoint, or issues such as abortion when we're thinking about you know so uh social issues and, and and politics and these kinds of things
So as we see in the examples of how many people treat the issue of liberty or freedom, and people will say that their political party is fighting for their freedom, even though it's not, people are fine with being told what to think, how to act, how to vote, etc. Also in the case of religion, because the issue of death is too big, it's too complicated and abstract of a topic, people will go to religion not for its intended purpose, but rather to be told again, right, how to think, how to act, how to believe in the afterlife. But this is completely contrary to the true purpose of religion, which is to get you to seek your own path of spirituality with some guiding principles. In the same respect, the issue of abortion, from a Buddhist standpoint, I believe is something you as a spiritual person must come to find out your own answer that speaks to you. You have to find the answer for yourself. This is not one of those issues that you can just leave up to those in political power or those who claim to have religious authority. No, this one is on you. Actually, really, every issue is on you, but, but this one in particular, right? Because you have agency over your own body. The government should comply with that understanding. It should be your choice. But either decision you make doesn't give you the right to then tell other people how they should live their lives. You might be able to make compelling suggestions um, either way, but each case is different from person to person. They have to come to their truth too. And this is why Roe v. Wade made sense, you know, because it was a compromise between the two sides after all the fighting between the two sides. I am a bombu, an ignorant and foolish sentient being, as Jinnah Shonin teaches. We are so foolish that we don't even have the capacity to clearly define when life begins and, many times, when it ends or should end. Issues such as do we consider a person dead when an individual is brain dead or in the future with our relationship with AI or the issue of euthanasia? These are all issues uh, that deal with um, how it is not clear or how there is no clear definitive start and finish that we can define as humans. That is in itself evidence of our ignorance, our bombu-ness. Nevertheless, we have to live this existence, right? So we have to draw lines where there isn't one. And that's what Roe v. Wade was, at least from a legal standpoint. As Buddhists, I think we need to recognize that life and death is, in fact, a subjective discussion, meaning there is a lot of room for interpretation here, right? To say this is what life has to be, and this is what death has to be, is potentially draconian in, in approach. And the much more compassionate approach is to allow the person when to live and when to die. This is why I really revere this tradition, Jodo Shinshu, because in this teaching, it's not about you know putting down others and saying there's only one path to truth, nor is it saying that there's only a select few people that are going to make it and the rest are screwed. No, right? Everyone's got to make it. And on top of that, 
yes, we, we do have to live morally and know go, good from evil. But the true purpose of religion is not about defining ethics and living to a set, set of code of ethics. Instead, the true purpose of religion goes much further than that. It is that you and everyone else is part of the one reality of truth that we fail to recognize as such because of our egocentricities. We can kind of think of it as layers. The first layer is the superficial one. It is, but a necessary one, nonetheless, right? It is the one that operates on the level of morality. We use this standard not only to judge ourselves within this mundane world, um, but we also use it to judge other people as well, right? For, for better or for worse, whether we want to or not, right? That is the world that operates in this way based on the standard of morality. And this is how we define religion oftentimes, right? But there is another and much, much deeper level. It is the teaching that says, okay, now that you have this morality thing understood more or less, you still suck, but more or less, you understand what the golden rule is and what morals are. Now it's time for you to understand that truth is far beyond what your morals claim to, to get you to arrive at. You don't have the capacity to arrive at truth, but it's okay because truth is here for you despite your best efforts. Truth will always be here for you. When you are ready to receive it, I will be here. And this is Buddha. In other words, the principle of transcending wisdom and compassion. So Buddha here is not a deity, right? The, the Buddha here is referring to Buddha Dharma, the, the principle of transcending wisdom and compassion, as I just mentioned. It is reality as such. And this is what Shinshu or Shin Buddhism, I should say, tries to address. This is why a lot of times, you know, the, you know, the Sangha and the minister are on different wavelengths, right? Because the Sangha wants to be told a lot of times how to live their lives in society, you know, how to act in this situation, right? Oftentimes we think, you know, uh, we, we hear, you know, how, do, how can I use the Buddha Dharma in my everyday life? How do I look at Buddhism in my everyday life, right? Which, are, which is a valued, valid and a legitimate point, right? Um, and, but this is what oftentimes the Sangha wants, right? You know, how do we look at this particular social issue, et cetera, right? right? You know, example for what we're doing right here, you know, in, in the issue of, you know, abortion. How does Buddhism look at the issue of abortion, right? And that's fine. This is, this is important. And it is something that we need to address in order not only to stay relevant, but also to, you know, implement Buddhism in our everyday lives. And, um, you know, and that is something that Shin Buddhism should be addressing. But the, the point is that the conversation should not stop there. The minister is trying to pull the Sangha from the world of the mundane, in other words, the world of the secular, or in other words, the world of everyday life, to the world of the supramundane, to the world of the transcendence, right? Or the transcendent. And that is why it is, it is so difficult for this religion to take hold. Because what this religion is addressing 
is the deeper level of the world of transcendence. It is something that, um, you know, one has to really kind of sit down and grapple with. It's, it, it's not something that, because it doesn't come up in everyday life, right? And, and um, it, it, it's not exactly something that pops into your mind when you're doing your laundry or when you're washing your dishes, right? It's the, you have to really sit down and think about, you know, what this life is and what it's about, you know, and its relationship to this world of absolute truth, right? So then once we are pulled down to the layer of the super mundane, and awaken to the oneness of all life and that all sentient beings are, embra are embraced by the world of infinite wisdom and compassion, then, interestingly enough, we go back to the superficial layer to then live our lives with this newfound understanding of how the world really works. We go back to the superficial level with this new worldview, right, that all things are one, right? and that this world operates on the principle of wisdom and compassion. In other words, we go from the mundane layer to the super mundane layer, and then back to the mundane layer. And then that process continues. But if we get, stay, if we, if we get stuck and stay in the superficial layer, then we will miss the point of Buddhism. Likewise, if we stay stuck in the super mundane level, the deeper level, we will again miss the point of Buddhism. We have to continually fluctuate from the superficial layer to the deep layer, back to the superficial layer, back to the deep layer. But anyway, I digress. Um, I, I do kind of want to return back to this original point of um, Buddhism talking about the principle of karma and that karma uh, means that there, on the one hand, we do have responsibility um, for our actions, but that also entails that we have the freedom uh, to decide uh, what is the appropriate way to live our lives. I'd like to share with you the last teaching of Shakyamuni Buddha. One of the last things he says is the following, quote, make of yourself a light, rely upon yourself, do not depend on anyone else, make my teachings your light. Rely upon them. Do not depend upon any other teaching. End quote. And this is the famous in Japanese. What this is, uh, what this is called, is the Jito Myo Hoto Myo teaching. How I interpret this message is not that the Buddha is saying, "Rely on yourself as the truth, and that everyone is wrong." Right? Uh, rather, he is pointing out that your life experiences, the things that you experience in your professional life, to your family life, to your hobbies, your interests, your experiences, all along um, with, uh, with all of your attachments and blind passions, your actions from your body, speech, and mind, shinku uh, i right? In other words, all of your karmic actions are the ways in which you must verify the truth of the Buddha Dharma. Don't rely upon anyone else in the sense that their experiences are their own. They have their path to the truth. You have yours. You must come to that truth through your karma. The truth of the Dharma will reveal itself to you through your karma. It always has. It always will. It's just a matter 
of whether you are able to pick up on that or not, right? So what that's saying is that your your existence matters, right? Your 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 existence was precisely the path that you had to take in order for you to come to the truth, and the truth is both universal as well as specific. Specific in the sense that it is specific to you, and this is exactly why Shri Nanshoni uses the phrase to treat my uh, to the Buddha treats me as if I was the Buddha's only child. Right? He's not saying that truth comes through me and you got to go through me to understand truth that is not what he's saying that is actually the exact opposite of what he's trying to say what he's trying to say is that i have my path to come to the truth this was the specific karmic uh condition that i had to go through customized for my specific learning and it was this path that i have taken the experiences that i saw that I've witnessed, the the different uh, thoughts that came up into my mind, the different feelings that I had in my heart uh, through the different experiences that I saw, all of these things, my blind passions, my attachments, all of these things were crucial, actually indispensable in order for me to come to the Dharma here and now. It is because of this precise existence that I now see the value of the Buddha Dharma. And if you and I were to swap uh, positions, you would not come to the Buddha Dharma. Why is that? Because you do not live my experiences. Likewise, I don't live your experiences, right? Furthermore, all experiences, both good and bad, pleasant and unpleasant, pious or impious, when we, when we were young or when we're old, all experiences without exception are opportunities for one to encounter the Buddha Dharma. The Buddha Dharma speaks to us constantly and endlessly. So abortion then is another time when we can come to the truth of the Buddha Dharma. When we are shown the impermanence of life, the evanescence of life, the fragility of life, the limitations that we have as human beings, the suffering that comes about when dealing with this issue, right? These are all truths that the Buddha Dharma reveals to us. And in this way, the abortion does not go in vain. Now, it isn't that we, we want abortions to take place, right? But when we are thrust into these extremely difficult situations, we are suddenly brought to understand and see the profundity of life and death. I also don't appreciate that, you know, people of pro-choice are told they don't value the sanctity of life, right? No one wants an abortion, right? It's, it's how do we think about this issue when we cannot think of any alternatives in caring for this fetus? So we are thinking about the sanctity of life by thinking about this issue seriously and when making this difficult decision. We are thinking about the sanctity of life. And this is not a decision that the government or those in power should be making. From a religious standpoint, this is something the individual must decide for herself. She is the one in the situation. If anything, 
the government should provide support for this individual, whether she takes the fetus, fetus to term or not. What I mean by this is that if the government should be taking care of its citizens, right, in general, right, if the government should be taking care of its citizens, then there should be public assistance and programs that help this person in the early stages of motherhood. And likewise, there should be public assistance and programs to provide the care for the person who just underwent a traumatic ordeal. But I don't, I don't really see that happening, right? For example, you know, most companies in America still don't provide adequate time for paid maternal leave, right? And paid paternal leave, that's like, that's a joke, right? So, you know, it seems like there's, there's a, um, it seems like there's a different agenda going on here. One that's motivated by power, religion, and archaic views of, of men and women. I'd like to mention one more thing, um, which is that, you know, I'm, I'm very well aware of who my target audience is and what the likelihood of the social and political views of the viewers of this podcast is, right? Likewise, I have my own personal views that tend to be, you know, on, on one side of the political spectrum. But my personal views have to be put aside, right? In this program, I'm trying to provide a thought process that reflects on an issue using Jodo Shinshu teachings and principles, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, of this episode. Other Jodo Shinshu followers and ministers alike will disagree with me on certain points or, or others. Our position on these social issues, you know, is definitely not monolithic, right? So I might sound like a Jodo Shinshu minister taking the side of one particular part of the political spectrum over the other. However, let me just say that in today's episode, there might be firm agreement with the position of pro-choice, a position that is typically associated with the Democratic Party and the progressive cause here in, in the United States. But I have to separate myself as a minister and say that that agreement might not always be the case in the future. Today, I might agree with that side, but tomorrow does not guarantee that. So I just want the viewers to kind of, you know, know that. As a Jodo Shinshu minister, my position as a minister, as well as from a doctrinal standpoint, keeps me from solely identifying with one political party or one social movement over the other. And if that disappoints you, then you have misunderstood what this religion is about. This religion is not about identity politics. It's not about informing you how to vote in the next election. It's also not about telling you what's right and what's wrong and what you have to live your life uh, and how you have to live your life in, in this specific way or another. It will not say that those in the wrong are banished to an eternal realm of suffering and loneliness. It is about telling you that the Buddha tells us of a path for all sentient beings to be able to find true spiritual liberation through the Nembut's teaching. How you take that and live is up to you. So let me finish by saying one more thing. Um, I think it should be a matter of choice for women to decide for herself what she needs to do with her body. Abortion is a very difficult issue. It's a very difficult decision that one has to make. However, whatever decision that she makes, 
she should know that both her and the fetus are embraced in the light of Amida Buddha's great compassion, regardless of what course of action was to be taken. This is something that we as Jodoshinshu Buddhists must not forget when faced with this difficult discussion. Whether a person lives 600 years, 60 years, six years, or six minutes, in your eyes, you might say to yourself, oh, what a long and full life, how fortunate of that person. Or you might also say, oh, what a short time to be in this world, poor little thing, how unfortunate. That might be how you see it. But to Amida, the Buddha will say, how great it was that you were able to live, no matter the length. No matter the length, you have lived a great, full, and wonderful life. How precious you are. Every life is precious, and every life is embraced in the world of Amida Buddha's great wisdom and compassion. Let us remember this as Jodo Shinshu Buddhists amidst this ever-turbulent world that we live. Thank you for tuning in today to another episode of No Doubt. I'm your host, Takashi Miyagi. As the master of Vasubandhu states, O world-honored one, with the mind that is single, I take refuge in the Tathagata of unhindered light, filling the ten quarters, and aspire to be born in the land of peace and happiness. Take care, Dharma friends. Until next time, Namo Amidats.